All right, all right. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's so good to have all of you here with us and being able to connect during our greeting time. And uh, it's so good to be able to uh, worship God together through song and then now to be ready to dive into God's word. Now, um, uh, I want to mention that for many of us, and uh, by us, I mean parents who uh, have kids who are in school, this past week was the, um, like the first day of in-person school uh, for many of us. If you have a kid who had a first day of in-person school this past week, can you just like make a round of applause or just some sort of like, and so maybe you have a kid or a grandkid. So we had a little bit more in the first hour, but it's one of those where if you were on uh, Facebook or Instagram or social media, uh, you see lots of first day of school photos. And you know that old um, proverb that says, you know, if, um, if a tree falls over in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, it doesn't make a sound. Uh, it almost feels like we're at a point where it's, if your kid had a first day of school, but you didn't post about it, did it even happen? And so um, we did not post about it, but we did take pictures. So I will share those uh, with you now. So um, the first one you see is a picture of uh, Shaylin on the left-hand side with Ember and then our dog and then Elise with Ember as well. And I love how in Shaylin's picture, Ember is very much like putting his hand and like laying hands on her to get her ready for the day. Um, and then just with Elise, just they're so, they're, it's just so sweet. So does this directly relate to the sermon? I mean, yeah, like kind of, but also I just want to show a picture of our cute kids and our cute dog. Um, but you know what other thing that Facebook does is that Facebook will do uh, like memories where it says, did you know four years ago today you posted this? And so uh, one of the days this past week, four years ago prior, uh, this was Shaylin's first day of kindergarten. Um, what you can't see or maybe you could kind of tell is that we're holding something in our hands. Um, Steph years ago got... Um, necklaces for me and the girls. My necklace uh, says, um, two girls have my heart, they call me daddy. And it has, it's like a dog tag with a little cut out there. And then the girls each have little hearts that say daddy's girl. And the heart of their necklace fits right into the dog tag of mine. And so uh, we're both like showing those uh, to get ready for the first day of kindergarten. Um, and also just side note, I can't believe how much she's grown like in the past four years. Like I'm like, oh my gosh. So uh, when Shaylin graduated from preschool, she, uh, they had a preschool graduation, and there was a poem that was read about the first day of kindergarten. Um, I didn't, so I didn't write this, but uh, we found it through um, our preschool up there. So if you'll humor me for a moment, I want to read it because this actually kind of does connect with our sermon and series topic this morning. And so here's what it says. Again, this is about the first day of kindergarten. And we can leave the photo up there while we're reading it. It says... Everyone has a first day when they feel sad and all alone. It can be so scary when you're there on your own. And I know that the first day can be full of doubts and fears, but they're full of new beginnings. Take my hanky, dry your tears. You'll find lots of things to do, and you'll probably make new friends. And I promise we'll be together when the school day ends. And here comes the teacher. Blow your nose and be brave. Come on now. Wipe your eyes. This is no way to behave. Well, good morning, teacher. We really must beg your pardon. No, daddy doesn't always act this way, but it's my first day of kindergarten. <laughs> and it's this idea of like recognizing that we, that separation of going from into kindergarten into school uh, for her and how as emotion as, as parents, uh, seeing them kind of go off into that world and praying for them. But there's one line specifically in there that um, I wanted to bring up. And it's this idea of how, you know, in this poem, in this example, it's the kindergartner 
talking to the parents about how you'll be, make, you'll be meeting new friends. There's plenty of things to do. And we are starting a series this week over the next several weeks called The Five Thresholds. The Five Thresholds um, is a series that is based off of a book called I Once Was Lost by Don Everts and Doug Shop. They work with uh, InterVarsity Press. And the reason I mention that is because the content and some of the ideas that are in this week and some of the general concepts over the next several weeks uh, come from this book. And, and we're not just going to copy it you know, word for word, but we want to give honor to whom honor is due for a lot of the content in this series. And so I would encourage you, again, it's called I Once Was Lost by Don Everts and Doug Schaup. And if you are interested in this topic, um, I would encourage you to uh, purchase the book, read along, um, and that way we have a fuller understanding of our concepts. But here's what the idea is behind the five thresholds. That Don and Doug, the authors of this, they work for InterVarsity and they interviewed a lot of people about their faith journey. How did you go from someone who was completely indifferent and having no desire to have a relationship with God? And how did you walk that journey or how, what did it look like for you then to be someone who is following Jesus? And as they interviewed thousands of people, they, they started noticing that there were five thresholds, five, not necessarily perfect steps or stages that have set times, but there were five thresholds each person crossed through, and it had to be in, in somewhat of the same, it had to be in the same order. You didn't go from step one to step four. You went from one, two, three, four, five. And so by way of introduction, what we are going to do is we are going to take the next several weeks to look at the five thresholds. Today is a um, today's a 30,000-foot view. Today is a, we are going to briefly mention each of the five. And then over the next several weeks, we're going to look at each of those thresholds more in depth um, over, uh, you know, and take some time to unpack those and what that looks like. But as we start our sermon and as we start our series today, uh, I'm going to ask that we, we open up with a word of prayer. And in this prayer, we are asking that God would, would move in our hearts and then we move in the hearts of those we love who don't know Jesus yet. And right off the bat, I know maybe not everyone who's listening to me, whether you're in person, whether you're online, or whether you're listening later, you may not be on that place in your journey yet. You may not be someone who follows Jesus wholeheartedly. And if that's you, we are so glad and grateful and honored that you would spend your time with us as we unpack God's word and as we dive in together. But this series, I want to really place... Uh, maybe a, an encouragement and a challenge for those of us who do follow Jesus to evaluate how it is that we can come alongside people, how it is that we can share Christ with people in such a way to walk them through these thresholds, in such a way that we are pouring into them and not, um, and not pushing too hard at the wrong time, but rather discerning when and where and how God would want to use us to share Christ with people. With all of that said, will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you so much for each person that hears my voice right now, whether they're in person, whether they're online, and even whether they are listening to the podcast later on. Lord, I pray that each person who hears my voice knows that they are loved by you. Wherever we are in our journey with you, God, I pray that by the end of our time together this morning, that we would be one step closer to you than we, are when we, than we were when we first started this sermon. And God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would open up our eyes and our ears to what it is you want us to learn, how you want us to grow, and how you would want us to share our faith with those we love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 26. Uh, If you have the Bible um, app on your phone, you can search up uh, Mark chapter 4. Also, our notes are available. If you want to click on the menu, you can search events and you'll be able to find us here. Uh, If you have your own Bible, Mark 4, 26, 29. um, And if you just, we will have the verses on the screen as well. And what I want to share is that Mark chapter 4 has a parable of a sower. That is very common for, for those, who, those of us who have a relationship with Jesus and we've studied God's word. Um, it's, a, it's a parable that is in Matthew and Luke as well. It's the one where it talks about the sower who sows seeds and how there's different types of soil. And the different types of soil have, you know, either it didn't have a, a firm rooting, it didn't root in, and so it went away. It, it got stressed by the worries of the world and was choked out, or something like a bird just took in and stole the seed. And so it's recognized that there's these different types of soils. And then the fourth soil is the good soil, the rich soil, the soil that produces 30 or 60 or 100 times the growth. And I bring that up because when I say a parable of a sower in Mark 4, that's where my mind went. But in the book, what it talks about, I once was lost, what it talks about is this other parable in Mark that isn't found in the other Gospels. It's another parable about a sower. And whereas in the first parable of the sower I referred to just now, we find ourselves in the soil. Are we good soil? Are we bad soil? Are we letting the world choke us out? Are we whatever that is? In this one, we are going to find ourselves or place ourselves in the shoes of the sower, looking at what the sower did and how the sower saw growth come about in the seeds that were planted. So Mark chapter 4, verse 26 through 29, let's read it together or I'll read it and you could follow along and here's what it says. He, Jesus, also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And so in our time together this morning, we're going to unpack four different things that the, that the sower, the farmer, the one that, to which we are placing, in which we are placing our shoes, um, or we're placing our feet into his sandals, I guess. Um, we're going to look at his perspective. What are four things that he does, and how does that impact us and how we can share with people? Because this parable is about growth. It's about the responsibility we have to scatter seeds. The first thing that we see here is that a farm, the farmer, this is what the kingdom of God is like, a man scatters seeds on the ground. So, Here's the thing. If we know there are people in our lives, and, and I imagine as we talk about this, there's going to be a name or two of people that you know, whether it's friends, maybe it's people at work, maybe it's extended family, member, maybe it's classmates. You're going to start thinking of people that are in your sphere of influence that don't know Jesus. And when we know and love Jesus, When he's changed our lives, what we want is we want those we know and love to also know and love Jesus. And so if we want to get to a point where they know and love Jesus, those names that come to your mind that the Holy Spirit may be prompting you with right now, if we want them to know and love Jesus, that has to start with our willingness to scatter seeds, to sow seeds, to share a little bit about what Jesus has done in our lives. 
that a crop cannot grow if a seed is not sown. That someone following Jesus needs and necessitates that someone first would share Jesus with them. Now, to be clear, what I'm not saying is you meet someone for the very first time. And uh, I heard this joke before. If it, let's say you're at, a, uh, you're at a movie theater. Let's say you're at an airplane and you're on an airplane and you're sitting down and there's a, spe- a seat that's open next to you. And someone says, you know, in the story, someone says, oh, oh, is that seat saved? And they say, no, it's not, but are you? Right? It's like this very, like, upfront, like, you know, so you know Jesus. And that can, that has worked before. I'm not devaluing the ability of a bold witness. What I am saying that in our postmodern culture, and by that what I mean is that everyone questions what truth is. There's a moral relativism where we hear things that say like, you know, she, she spoke her truth, or he lives out his truth, or we all have our own truths. And if we all have our own truths, then by what's called the law of non-contradiction, they all cannot be true. For example, if I look at this screen over here and I say, this screen is off, and you say, this screen is on, both of those cannot be true. That is the law of non-contradiction. You cannot say one is both off and both on. What does that mean? That means that there are things that are true, objectively true, that are right and true. And we need to share those things because we know when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, we know that if someone is honestly, truly seeking and pursuing truth, not their own truth, not the culture's truth, but truth, if they are honestly on the road to seeking truth, they will find Jesus at the end of that road because he is the way and the truth and the life. He is not a truth. He is the truth. Those definite articles are super important as opposed to an indefinite one of a truth. No, he's the truth. And I bring that up because we, for those of us who follow Jesus, I'm talking to those who follow Jesus right now. For those of us who follow Jesus, we have a calling to speak the truth, but we speak it in love. We need to speak the truth about how God loves us, that we were created and formed by loving God, creator God, but that we blew it, that there is sin in this world. And not only that, there is sin in all of our hearts. Each of us have fallen short. Each of us sin. No one is without sin. But also that Jesus paid for it because the only one who ever was without sin, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, but then he was raised to new life so that we may have eternal life. And because of that, we must receive that gift and that offer to eternal life. See, I can share that here, and I can share that to anyone who's listening in person or online. But if you send this to a family member and say, oh, listen to what, what I heard this weekend, they'll hear, oh, yeah, that's what a pastor's supposed to say, right? If you, as the, the, the men, the women, the students that have the example and the impact on people's lives, the influence, if you are the one who is scattering that seed, if you are the one who is pouring into people, it's going to mean more than if I do it. You know why? Because they trust you, they know you, and they see how you live. One of the things that the farmer is great at is scattering seed, is is not being withholding the seed and saying, oh, I want a crop, but I don't want to risk putting a seed out there. In the same way that when we want those we know and love to know and love Jesus, 
we're willing to share about what Jesus has done in our lives in a truthful way, in a loving way, which means we don't just maybe, in, their, in, in people's verbiage, we don't shove it down their throats, but we live in such a way that people want to find out more about him. The second thing that this, the farmer does is that he watches and he waits. In fact, the scripture says that night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. I don't know about you, but there's a comfort that I have when it comes to the idea that when we're sharing Jesus, I don't know how God works in certain people's lives and in others. He may work through some of your lives because you went through a great tragedy and difficulty, and it was in that moment of brokenness, the hope of Christ was revealed. Some of you, maybe you received Christ or you followed him because you grew up in a Christian home and that foundation has been there for so long. You don't have a moment that you follow Jesus. You just know he's always been with you. Neither of those is better or worse or right or wrong. It just means that God works in each of us on our own journey in a different way. And so what, a far, what the farmer does, he says, I, he doesn't know what to do. Knowing that I don't know how God is working in any one of your lives means that I can scatter seeds, I can share the gospel, but I know that I'm not the one that is responsible to do all the growing for you. The farmer doesn't drop the seed, water it, dig up the seed, break open the seed, and try to encourage it to grow. I heard a story about a, a local sports radio uh, guy who was talking about how he wanted this butterfly to grow, and he saw the butterfly that was like struggling to get out of the chrysalis, not the cocoon. I learned it's called a chrysalis, and I learned things. Um, and he was trying to get out of the hole, and so the guy, the sportscaster, was like, oh, I want to help this butterfly. I'm like, oh, I'm so kind. And he goes and he tries to like open the chrysalis for it. Well, the butterfly comes out and has no strength in its wings. Why? Because the tension and the fight of getting out of the chrysalis is what strengthens the butterfly for flight and for life. So it turns out that this man, in trying to help the butterfly get freed, ended up sentencing the butterfly to a short life without being able to fly. Again, our job is not to, to force and to make the growth happen. We don't know how it happens, but we can notice it. We can watch for it. We can wait and we can pray. See, in 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about how Paul and Apollos, one, one plants the seed and the other waters it, but God is the one who brings about the growth. It's not incumbent upon any one of us to make growth happen. Because if it was, then I would be upset with my parents for not making me taller, right? Just kidding. Recognize it's not up to us to make growth happen, yet we are called to scatter seeds. We are called to watch and wait. The third thing the farmer was good at was discerning the growth, was finding out the level of growth in the seeds. He says that he could start to notice that there were different stages. There was first the, st the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. Now you would care for each stage of growth differently than you would if it was, you know, if it's a full head of, a full kernel of grain, you don't treat it the same way that you would do just a newly sprouted plant. So my wife, Steph, is um, uh, very good at plants, just like, just good at doing that. She enjoys it. And um, for those of you who are also, uh, who really enjoy plants, um, I, I still don't fully understand it, but I'll say things like, um, she'll say things like, you know, the plant likes this or the plant wants more light. I'm like, how do you know what the plant wants? Like, but guess what? 
like she's totally right. Like she knows like when she moves the direction or she changes things, it's, you know, the plant wants this. I'm like, oh, the plant has feelings. Like I love it. But it's recognizing that, what does that mean? That means she, as someone who is looking after a plant or after a seed, has to watch it, has to wait for the growth because the growth doesn't happen instantaneously, and then has to discern how is the next, or what, excuse me, is the next step to help this plant grow. See, we live in a culture that is so on-demand, fast-paced, immediate uh, satisfaction or, or immediate gratification. We don't like the idea of watching, waiting, slowing. We want to force things to work out the way we want them. And there are some things we could do that in, but the growth and the spreading of the gospel in someone's life is not one that we can force to happen. In fact, if we try to force it, and in our way we might be trying to help, there's a potential that in our forcing of trying to make the gospel come to fruition, we rob a person of their growth in the midst of the difficulty of struggling and learning on their own, just like the sportscaster robbed that butterfly and meaning them help and wanting to help, robbing them of a flight. So recognizing that discerning the growth, knowing what the next step is, is what the farmer's good at. And the fourth thing that the farmer's good at is harvesting the crop. It says this, that when the time comes, if we can go ahead and pull up the slide here, it says, Um, let's go to the, oh, sorry, actually, no, this is good. All by itself, I forgot to mention this, all by itself, the soil produces grain. That's the word, all by itself, is the word where we get the word automatic, that it happens on its own. So again, it's a reminder that it's not the farmer's job to force growth, it'll happen. Um, And so what we'll see here is that there's, uh, the book talks about how there's five different stages of the growth of the plant in this section. First, there's the seed, then there's the sprouting, uh, then there is going to be, or the stalk, excuse me, then there's the head, then there's the full kernel in the head, and then it's ripe. So what I want to do is take a few moments, because in uh, I Once Was Lost, they talk about how there's, again, these five thresholds. It's not a perfect equivalent, but it's five thresholds from, if there's from seed to ripe, what are the five thresholds? So we're going to give a 30,000 foot view of what that looks like now for each threshold. The first threshold is a threshold of trust. It's when someone moves from distrust towards Christians to trusting a Christian. This is important because when we don't have in any relationship, if you don't have a foundation of trust and you tell someone what to do, or you tell someone what they need to do, or you tell someone that what you, you know, if if you have an established trust, people will very likely They may respect you, they may listen, they may not, but either way, they may not do anything about it. It's that that adage where it's, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's like you have to build trust in people. And so in this threshold, in this stage, our job as believers is to, people who love Jesus, is to build trust with someone who doesn't know Jesus. They need to know that you know Jesus. Like it's, it's, again, scattering seeds, but you're building trust so that when the time comes, they would be open to going, I don't trust any Christians, so I trust you as a Christian. That's threshold one. And when they get on the other side of that, they again go to this point of moving from indifference, threshold two is called curious, from indifference to being curious. This is the stage in which you may trust someone for a long time. It may take years to establish threshold one. 
And just so you know, building trust with people who don't know Jesus, that is 100% sharing Christ with them. It's, it's, it's being able to build that relationship with them. So it doesn't mean you're not sharing the gospel. It means you're living it out in such a way that then, when necessary, you can use words. It doesn't mean we hide, but it means we wait and we watch and we pray. But then we get to the point where they're indifferent. We're like, you know, that's great that you love Jesus. And, you know, that, that's cool. Like, I have a, like, you know, you may say, this, uh, someone who doesn't know Jesus may say, I have a friend who's a Christian. I have a friend who follows this faith. I have a friend who believes in something completely different. I have a friend who's agnostic and another who's an atheist. I, 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 I trust you all. I respect you all. But there needs to come a point in Threshold 2 where they become curious about our faith. So it's not just, oh, I'm going to, you know, you say, I'm going to church on Sunday morning. They say, why are you going to church? What is, what is that about? Or they say, I've noticed that you bring your Bible and you read it, you know, during your breaks at work. Why, why do you read the Bible? Isn't that just an old book of myths and stories that don't mean anything? Or they say, you know, how come that you, why do you pray? I mean, and who do you pray to? Because there's so many different types of, of God. So who do you pray to? See, they move from a point of being completely indifferent about the things of faith, of spirituality or whatever, and then they get to a point where they're just curious. They're asking questions. They say, what is this about? And one of the great ways for us to build trust and to foster curiosity, and we'll, we'll hit on this in a couple weeks, is to ask them questions too. That it's say, you know, so tell me, do you have, what, what was your relationship like uh, in your family? Was there any spiritual relationship? Was there any um, background of faith? Does, does faith or spirituality play a role in your life today? If so, what does that look like? And just asking questions rather than just trying to force answers. That helps them to move from being indifferent to curious. Threshold three is the idea of being open. Being open to change, from being closed to change to being open. Because there can be people who are curious about something, but then they don't actually make the changes in their lives in order to have that actually impact them. A few years ago, I was looking into, for example, uh, the keto diet. I had some friends in my previous church that were doing the keto diet, um, and they lost a lot of weight. And I'm like, oh, that, that, that's really interesting. I want to learn about it. So I got like an ebook on the nook, and I was reading about the keto diet. I was curious about it. But did I ever take the leap to go from curiosity to being open to changing my lifestyle and how I eat and what I eat in order to do that? No. So I was someone who was kind of just sitting in that curiosity stage and never made it beyond that. There will be people in our lives that are curious and may sit there for quite a while, but then there will come a point, maybe it's because of a difficulty, maybe it's because of a question they have, tragedy, I don't know. But they then say, okay, now, now I want to know, when you read your Bible, when you pray, when you go to church, what is it that you get out of that? Because my life is without hope. I'm struggling. What might God have to say about that? How might God help me through this? What might I do in order to get closer to him? Then you're, they're moving from threshold three, through threshold three, from close to change to open to change. Once they're open to change, they enter into the fourth threshold, which is the threshold of seeking. This is the one where it's an intentional looking for something. This is not a wandering around, just kind of, you know, when you go to the mall and sometimes you just kind of wander around, you don't even know what you're looking for. You go to Target and you say, what are you going to get there? I have whatever I want. Like you just kind of walk around and see what you need. Or there's the times when you're like, I know exactly what I need. It's on aisle A22 and I need to make sure that I get enough so that we can be fine at our house, whatever it is. It's intentionally going and seeking. And this is a reminder of what we talked about earlier. 
when someone is intentionally seeking truth without subjectivity, without own biases, when they're intentionally seeking truth, the end of that road is Jesus. So they go from wandering to seeking. And then that fifth threshold is the one where once they see Jesus, they might be undecided. They might say, okay, like Jesus is here and I believe he is who he says he is, but I'm not sure if I want to trust him and follow him. And that's when they cross the final threshold of going from being undecided to being a follower of Jesus. Five thresholds. We'll unpack each in further detail over the next several weeks. But it all goes back to what we talked about, how we, as the farmers and people who scatter seeds in our lives, we need to discern which stage our friends, our family members, our loved ones, which stage they are currently in, in order to know how to walk alongside them in their journey towards Christ. That if someone is just at a stage where they are just barely curious, like, oh, like, what is church about? And then you say, then you say like, well, I have an idea. Or what's the Bible about? I have an idea. Let's go ahead and learn Hebrew together so that we can go ahead and learn exactly what God said in the Old Testament. They're saying, I just wanted to know what the Bible was, right? We, we, if we go too far, it's the same thing whereas when my girls, uh, you know, Shaylin, she's learned her um, times tables. And it's like, okay, good. You know what, like, all the times tables up to 12 times 12. Now that you've gotten that, let's just go straight to math that has letters and introduce you to algebra and calculus and stuff, right? It's like, no, no, there are stages, there are steps, there are processes from which you go from the basics to more advanced material. There are thresholds that when someone is just barely wanting to learn how to trust a Christian after being burned or hurt or unsure, there are different steps so we can't rush the process. And we have to walk alongside them in different steps. So let's ask the question then. Uh, actually, let me go, let me double check where I'm at real quick to make sure I'm not jumping ahead. Okay, so then the next one, this is the one I referred to earlier about the harvest. And the fourth thing that the farmer is really good at is harvesting the crop when the time comes. Recognizing that um, when the fruit or the grain is ripe, it's not good farming to leave it there too long so then it starts to wither away. We have fruit trees that are on the side yard of our house and they have, they have peaches and we, like, we, we don't care for them because we literally don't care about them. And so it's one of those where like when the fruit is ripe, then it falls off of the tree. And because we have a slope, it rolls off the tree over our wall and like onto the floor. And so then it takes cleaning up and hope, you hope to get it before like the birds or the other critters get it because it's just dirtier, or messier that way. But we, if we wanted to actually harvest that fruit, we need to see when they're ripe. We would cut it off before they would fall off on their own. We, as people who follow Jesus, we get to a point where we see where people are at. We discern their growth. And when they're at that point of being undecided, they might just need someone to ask boldly and in, truthfully in love and saying, would you like to follow Jesus? Would you like to take that step to receiving the gift he has for you? Because how sad it is when there are people who are ready to follow Jesus and they want to follow Jesus, but they don't have someone to just walk them over that final step. Because we may be, we may feel too um, timid in order to share. But if we discern the growth, we can harvest the crop and we can walk them through that final stage. So what are the four things the farmers are good at, the farmer is good at, that we can take hold with us? On the screen, the first one we saw is that they, they um, scatter the seed, 
Second is watching and waiting and seeing what the growth looks like. Three is discerning the level of growth and knowing how to care for it. Four is harvesting the crop. And we bring these up because there's a temptation when it comes to sharing our faith, to evangelism. There's a temptation for us to feel like, okay, in order to be a good Christian, I have to do all four of these things with every person in my life the first time that I meet them or else I don't love Jesus. And there are times in our lives where we may be called to do each one of these four. What does that look like? You unpack on the next one says, what are you good at? That if you're really good at scattering seed, that means you're someone who loves meeting new people. You've never met a stranger in your life. Everyone is a friend you just haven't met yet. And you introduce yourself, you get to know them, you meet people, and through the way that you meet people and love people, it just it starts to scatter a little bit of seed. It starts to help them to feel... Um, uh, unattacked and when they get to know a little bit about Jesus. Some of you are people who watch and you wait, which means that you are praying for the harvest. And let's be clear, we don't know how the harvest works, but we do know that prayer works. So praying for the harvest is a vital part of being part of people in their journey with God, praying for them and seeing where they are at. Maybe you're someone who discerns growth. You're able to see which stage, which or part of the process people are at, and then you can encourage them and help them in that stage. You don't give them calculus when they're learning times tables, but you know, okay, well, then what's the next step? And then the next step. And you walk with them through that process. And the last one's the harvesting the crop. It's not being afraid to ask the question, you seem like you're ready to know Jesus. Would you like to know him? All of us are called at some point or another to do these different stages. But the pressure we feel is that we have to do all of them all at once to every person we ever meet. The reality is that there are some of you who are really good at those, some of those rather than others. And the reality is that all of us will play that role for someone if we're willing to be used by God in that way. Not one's not better or worse. One role is not more glorified or less. Because again, one plants seeds, one scatters it. Or excuse me, plants seeds, one waters it. And God brings the growth. We just need to be ready to harvest what God is doing. So as we close today, we're going to unpack a lot more over the next several weeks, like I said. I hope that you leave this place not overwhelmed. My hope and prayer is that you leave this place encouraged, knowing that sharing Jesus doesn't have to be all those things all the time, all at once. But what I'm going to ask you is two things, if you could. The first thing is I want you to think about your own journey with God. And I want you to think about the five thresholds that are on the screen right now that are, you know, do you see this pattern in your own life? You trusted someone who knew Jesus. You were curious about how they lived and why they lived that way. You were open to what God was doing in their lives and what he might do in yours. You were seeking God and then finally following him fully. Maybe if you see that pattern in your life, maybe you realize that that person you trusted, maybe that's someone that you've lost contact with. Maybe it's someone that you, you know, just maybe you see all the time, but maybe you don't always just thank them for the role they've had in your life. Having someone share with you that they helped you, or excuse me, having someone share with you that you helped them know Jesus better is one of the most amazing things in the world. 
you can bless someone in your life by sharing with them how they've impacted you today. You can do that this week. The second thing is like we said earlier, there may be two names, two or three names that come to mind of people who don't know Jesus who are in your sphere of influence. We'll have some resources. We'll have some next steps for you in the coming weeks. This week, pray for them. And ask God to work in their hearts, even though we don't know where it is or how the growth's happening. And ask God, ask the Holy Spirit, to help you discern which stage they are currently in so that you can have the wisdom and discernment to know how to walk alongside them. If we do those two things, as we start off the new school year where we're meeting new friends, our sphere of influence, our our, um, people we are meeting are brand new with new classes for our kids or sports or different events, or maybe you're coming back to work for the first time in a while um, in person, whatever it is, this season is a season that is ripe for new relationships. May God reveal to all of us which relationships he wants us to invest in and to walk through so though, they, though this moment they may be indifferent and uninterested in Jesus, that God would be stirring in their lives and then God would be stirring in our hearts to walk alongside one another to the point where they become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So this is the beginning of the next several weeks. Will you join me in a word of prayer as we close our sermon today? Father, we thank you so much that you are here with us now. God, we thank you that, um, Lord, that you know all of our journeys. And Lord, you've brought us from, some of us from being very far from you for many years to a point where we are here and we follow you. Lord, I pray for those who are watching or listening who um, are still on that journey. They've not made that final step yet. God, I pray that you would draw them close to you and, and surround them with people who know you and love you and who know them and love them enough to walk alongside them in this journey. I pray, Lord, that everyone who hears my voice would, be, would come into a right relationship with you through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that we would be open to, your, to changing so that you could change our lives, so we could change the world. And God, I pray that um, as we uh, get ready for the next several weeks, may you put people on our hearts that we can reach out to, And may we thank those who have reached out to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.